I was seven years old, and my best friend in the whole world was Jason Grady. Jason was my next-door neighbor, and we did everything together. We rode our BMX bikes all over the neighborhood. This was back in the day when kids just roamed free. We didn't have any devices to play on. We knew it was time to come home when the street light, the fluorescent street light, turned on on the street. We knew we had to go inside. Jason Grady and I did everything together. I thought he was so cool. This is the early 1980s, and he had long hair in the back. I look back on it, it kind of seems like a mullet, but then it was really cool. Anyway, Jason and I played together all day, every day, and one day, Jason looked at me and he said, hey, you want to become blood brothers? And I said, what's that? And he explained what it would mean, and I said, sure, let's go for it. And so we went up the street a little bit, and I remember for some reason we were in the garage of this old guy in the neighborhood, Mr. McFarlane, and we were sitting, I remember, on the cool concrete floor of his garage. And Jason Grady produced a sewing needle from his mom's sewing machine. And we pricked the ends of our fingers and we pressed our fingers together like this. And we looked each other in the eye and Jason said, Now we're blood brothers forever. Come on, let's go ride our bikes. So we got back on our BMX bikes and took off. Just out of curiosity, how many people here made a pact like that with a friend when you were little? Okay, wow, about half. The rest of you are going, you're insane. What is that? It's a thing, trust me, it's a thing. And I wonder, why do kids do that? Maybe it's because it's around that age that we begin to figure out just how many broken promises there are out here in the world, or how many unfulfilled promises. Maybe we're looking for something that will last. If we can become blood brothers or blood sisters, we can covenant with somebody in a promise that will last. We find Abram at the beginning of Genesis chapter 15 possibly wondering the same thing. Does he live in a world of unfulfilled promises? God had promised him a son. God had promised him a lineage, a family. And here he was getting older and older and older, perhaps wondering, God, are you going to come through on your promise? Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, God reminds him of his promise. It says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Nowadays, when we hear a sentence like that, your reward shall be very great, we probably think about money. We'll get a great reward. But back in Abram's time, a reward being very great, it meant one thing. It meant sons, okay? And Abram had been promised sons and it hadn't come to fruition yet. And God says to him, your reward will be very great. But look what Abram says in verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? This is the ancient world way of saying, show me the money. (laughs) Show me the son. Nice promise, God. But what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Poor Eliezer. He gets thrown under the bus here. He's not good enough. He's not the son. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. God, thank you for the promise once again. But will you bring it to fruition? Will you keep your promise, God? Because it doesn't look to me 
like you're keeping your promise. Look at God's response. In response, God gives Abram a little bit of perspective. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. Before I go any further, I just want to point that out. Just how personal and and touching that is. Here's Abram. He's probably in his tent, and he's in his misery. He's questioning. He's wondering. He's possibly despairing. I thought God would fulfill his promises to me, and look, there's no son. All I have is Eleazar, and God brought him outside. It's almost like I picture a father grabbing the shoulder of his son saying, come on, let's go out into the yard. Let's have a little look. Let's have a little perspective. So he brought him outside, verse 5, and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Come on, let, let's, let's get out of the misery here, Abram. Let's go out, let's go look at the night sky. And here is God, the one who created the universe, walking out into the yard with Abram saying, you see up there, you see what I've made, you see what I'm capable of doing. Now, can you imagine the night sky back in the day, before there was light pollution, before there were any cities around, before any street lights buzzed on as soon as it got dark outside. There's no light pollution. All there is is this visual that God is presenting before Abram. Look at the vividness of those stars. God is saying, I'm capable of that. Now, here's the amazing thing that we're going to see unfold as we look at the rest of this chapter. When God showed Abram this illustration, really, saying your sons, your family, your heritage will be like those stars, the cool thing is you and I, sitting here today, are actually in that number. We're one of those stars he pointed out that day. Because of Jesus, we get to be counted among the constellations that Abram saw. We're going to see that come true here as we look at the rest of the chapter. So God shows Abram quite an illustration, quite a visual. In other words, saying, I will fulfill my promise, Abram. I will be true to my promise. But I love Abram's response. It's almost like he's saying, like, nice visual, God. Show me the sun. In verse 8, Abram responds to all of this by saying, how am I to know? How am I to know? I believe you. It says that he believed him and it counted to him as righteousness, but then Abram still has this very practical, very on-the-ground question. Verse 8, how am I to know? How am I to know that you will be faithful to this promise? Because it ain't looking like it so much around here. And then something very strange happens beginning in verse 9. I want to read these verses because I want to explain this because it brings us into a deep and profound mystery and shows us the faithfulness of God. Abram says, how shall I know? God says, this is verse 9 now, God said to Abram, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So God says, You want me to prove to you that I'm going to be faithful to my promise? Go bring me some animals. So Abram does it, and interestingly, he knows exactly what to do with them. 
It says in verse 10, he brought them all these, cut them in half, laid them each, laid each half over against the other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. When the birds, came, birds of prey came on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. All right, what is going on here? <laughs> there was a ritual in the ancient world called cutting a covenant. And the reason that God doesn't have to explain to Abram what to do with the animals is because this was a thing. Abram knew exactly what God meant when he said, go get this specific list of animals. Abram thought, oh, we're going to cut a covenant today. So Abram went and he rounded up the animals and he places them. Actually, I have this visual, this artist rendering of what a blood path would have looked like. Abram knew what to do. You'd place the animals like this so that blood would run down through the valley. And I'm going to explain why they did this here in just a minute. But there's this phrase that comes out of the uh, ancient world called cutting a covenant. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but let's cut a covenant. This is where it comes from. So let, let me just try to explain this. Let's just say, for example, this was happening in today's terms. So let's say I was going to enter a covenant with right here in the front pew. Hey, Bob, Bob Dean and I, you didn't know you were going to be in today's sermon. Here we go. Let's say Bob and I are going to enter a covenant together. Maybe it's a business covenant, Okay. Well, in order to enter into this covenant together, I wouldn't say to Bob, go get me a turtle dove and a heifer and a ram. No, what would we do? We would write up a contract. And in the contract, it would have all the terms. Maybe it would say, Bob, you're going to be the sales guy. And Nathan, I'm going to be the uh, nuts and bolts guy, the operations. We're going to make this business happen. And what would we do to seal the contract? We would sign the bottom line. We would sign the dotted line. Then we would know we're in contract together. And if Bob failed to live up to his end of the agreement or if I failed to live up to my end of the agreement, the contract would say exactly what would happen. He would owe me all the money or vice versa. We would know the terms. But in Abram's time, they didn't sign the dotted line. They didn't have big pens even to write with. They would cut a covenant. So they would take these animals and they would cut them and they would form a little blood path. Let's say Bob and I were doing this together. And then what they would do once they had the blood, I like that we have red carpet here. Just pretend this is the blood path right here, okay? I would walk through the blood path like this, right? Bob would watch, and I would come through it. And what I would be saying to Bob in walking in the blood is I would be saying, Bob, if I don't live up to my end of the covenant, may what happen to these animals happened to me. And then I would step aside, and Bob would stand up, and he would walk the blood path. And he would be saying, if I don't live up to my end of this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. Deal? Is that a deal? <laughs> All right, we're in. We're in business together. And then Bob and I would go back to town, and people would, would notice something about us. They would see blood all over our sandals, maybe the bottom of our robe. We'd walk through town and people would say, ah, oh, those guys entered covenant together. They cut a covenant. But something very interesting happens in the blood covenant between God and Abram. I wonder what Abram was thinking when God says, oh, you want me to prove my faithfulness to you? Let's cut a covenant together. What was Abram thinking? I'm about to enter a contract, a covenant with the God of the universe? So he goes and he hurries and he gets the animals and he cuts them. And I think Abram's ready to walk through the blood, but something very interesting happens in verse 17 where it says, 
when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. What does this mean? A smoking firepot and a flaming torch, these are both symbols for God. Think about a couple of generations later when God's people are being led through the wilderness. They're led by a cloud by day and a torch by night. These are both symbols for God. So what happens here in the blood path is that God goes through the blood path saying, if I break my end of the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. But if you notice in the reading, where's Abram during all of this? He's a sound asleep. God put him out of the picture. God, after he walks through the blood path once, goes through again a flaming fire pot and a flaming torch. What is God promising here? He's saying, if I fail to live up to my end of the agreement, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And if you fail to live up to your end of the agreement, may what happened to these animals happen not to you, but to me. See what God is setting up here? He's actually, he's actually setting up the cross. Because what human has ever been able to live up to our end of the agreement with God? He will be our God. We will be his people. We'll love him with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We'll love our neighbor as ourselves. That's our terms of the covenant. How many of us have ever done that? except for one, namely Jesus. And so God says, when you fail to live up to your end of this bargain, Abram and everyone else, I'll pay the price, and I'll pay the price in my blood. Isn't this awesome? I remember when I first learned Genesis chapter 15, I had a Bible teacher in high school named Ray Vanderlaan. Some of you know him from the Israel DVDs. He was my Bible teacher. I was in ninth grade when he showed me this, and I was mind blown. He said, this is probably one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible because it shows us what will happen later on the cross. God is faithful to keep his promises. Jason Grady and I, We had no idea that just a few months after we became blood brothers, I would move away. I moved away and, you know, we were then like eight years old and we tried to keep up as friends. We wrote letters for a while. This is before texting and FaceTime and all that stuff. We wrote letters to each other, but then that kind of faded away once we got into middle school and high school and beyond. Jason and I haven't talked in probably 25 years. And that's usually how human covenants go. We don't remain faithful to them all the time by our nature. But look at this amazing verse in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. It says, All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. When God makes a promise like he did to Abram, your offspring will be like the night sky. He's able to say yes to his end of the bargain because of Jesus, because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. God fulfilled his end of the agreement and Abram's end of the agreement. God is faithful in his covenant to us even when we are not. 
I love the second part of this verse as well. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That's why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. The word amen can be translated simply as yes. God enters covenant with us. He makes promises to us. And he, because of Jesus, is able to always be faithful, saying yes to his promises. And our job and response is just to say amen. Yes, I agree with what you have done for me in Christ, O God. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And to that we say, Amen. Amen. Now, I think this is pretty cool. This ancient, mysterious, blood path ritual that was fulfilled in the cross of Christ. I think it's pretty amazing. But it could be a little bit kind of academic for us. We could think, that's great, but what promises has God made me and us that find their yes in Jesus? So I want you this morning to walk out of these doors as you go back into your lives. I want to remind you of three promises that find their yes in Jesus that we can count on. We can count on these promises. Number one, he will never leave us or forsake us. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. How did that promise find its yes in Jesus? Remember what Jesus cried out from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, in all of our sin, all of the ways that we've abandoned our end of the covenant, God, in his justice, ought to be able to say, I forsake all of them. But in his love, he said, I will forsake myself. I will forsake my own son so that I won't have to forsake them. So I don't know if there's anyone here who feels like God has abandoned you or God has left you or God has forsaken you, you can count on the promise that he said yes to in Jesus, that he will never leave you or forsake you. You're not alone. Promise number two, Romans 8 verse 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love this one. There is no condemnation. We live in a country right now where everybody's condemning everybody else. So angry. You're condemned for what you think, for what you do, for what you don't do. Maybe you feel condemned by your own past. Maybe you feel condemned by your spouse or your boss or your kids. You know what it says in Romans 8 verse 1, this promise of God? There's no condemnation. If you are in Christ Jesus, how did that promise find its yes in Jesus? He was condemned in our place. He was beaten. He was killed. His blood was spilled. You know how Abram cut the animals in half? Pastor Jackie's going to lead us in communion in just a couple of minutes. She's going to hold up a piece of bread, and he's going to say, this is my body. And what happens to that piece of bread? It's cut in half. He was condemned He paid the price for us not living up to our end of the bargain. Humans may condemn you, but you are not condemned by God your Father because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. 
He'll never leave you. There's no condemnation. And thirdly, we have an inheritance that cannot be taken away. 1 Peter 1 verse 4. We have an inheritance that cannot be taken away. That first verse when God says your reward shall be very great, we tend to think of that in monetary terms. God meant it in family terms. I don't know what your inheritance situation looks like. I don't know what your income or your portfolio, but the wonderful thing about this is this is saying that if you lose everything, if you lose your job, your portfolio, whatever, even your kids, you still have an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance that can never be taken away. How did that promise find its yes in Jesus? Well, let's think about it. Jesus is the firstborn son of God the Father, meaning he ought to inherit all the riches of God's grace and eternity. And what happened on the cross is there was an exchange that was made. His inheritance for ours. What Jesus deserves in his inheritance is eternal glory. What we deserve in our inheritance is the sons of disobedience is what we're called in Ephesians chapter 2. We're not called the firstborn sons who get all the inheritance. We're called sons of disobedience. The inheritance ought to have been cut off, but on the cross, Jesus exchanged the inheritance, his for ours. So we get eternal glory that can never be taken away because of what happened on the cross. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And to that we say, amen.